0: Acts chapter 2. Before we read it, um, just a bit of background to the book of Acts. Acts, or to give it its fuller title, the Acts of the Apostles, is a history book It's full of facts about the beginning and the growth of the early church. It uh, is part of a two-volume work, Luke and Acts, with Luke, the author of both. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, to provide, in his own words, a carefully investigated and thorough record, so that Christians might be—the words he uses—is certain. Uh, Luke Acts is to give certainty, confidence, and assurance to Christians. Wonder if any of you can remember, um, maybe a granny. Or a great aunt, maybe you're too young, Uh, my granny, uh, had uh, medicine bottles in the kitchen. Uh, They were large and black and the medicine tasted like acid and it had tonic on it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher from the 20th century, described the Book of Acts as tonic for the Christian's soul. Let me just tell you how the book works. Flick back to the beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, it's a preface. In a preface, you get all the headline stuff up front. The preface says three things. One, we have a gospel. Two, go and tell the gospel. Three, the Holy Spirit will empower your telling so that people will become Christians. That's the preface. We have a gospel. Our task is to tell, the Holy Spirit will empower it. And following the preface, and the early chapters of Acts record a number of significant events. Chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, the ascension of the Lord Jesus into heaven. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, the coming of the Holy Spirit down from heaven. Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down. And then in chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, Peter tells the Gospel. There's a sermon. At the end of that sermon, verse 37 of chapter 2, when the people heard this, Peter telling, remember the preface, telling, empowered by the Spirit, when the people heard this, that is Peter telling the Gospel, they were cut to the heart. How were they cut to the heart? They were cut to the heart not by him or by his words or by his rhetoric or his persuasion, but by the Holy Spirit working with the Gospel. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter, What will we do? He said, Repent and be baptized, trusting in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the indwelling of God by the Holy Spirit. They did, and they became Christians. That's essentially what Acts is saying. The principle, Gospel tell, Spirit conversion. The events, Gospel telling, Holy Spirit conversion. Now that is exceptional in the early church by the sheer numbers, 3,000 in one day. But the principle is normative, normal. Day one of the church is the principle that has been the basis of genuine gospel growth through the history of the church. It is the same principle that will have led people this very day to faith in Jesus. Telling, empowered, conversion. And there is no reason at all to doubt that that principle is not being worked out at this very moment in this very room. Why? Because the Gospel is being told, the Holy Spirit will be active and people can be converted. And that brings us to this little section, 42-47. through 47. It's one of a number of short summary sections that Luke, the author, uses throughout the book. And what we get is a little insight into what the early church was like, what their priorities were, how they ticked, how they functioned. And it's really helpful for us. It's essential. It's kind of church clutter-free. That's good. We're in the middle of the Six Nations Rugby Tournament. Last weekend something very unusual happened. Scotland um, Scotland won. I didn't have to say that, did I? If you saw the match, it was just perfectly set up. The last 90 seconds, Scotland were going to lose well again. And even afterwards, Scott Johnson, the the coach, said he had absolutely no confidence that the fly half would land the drop goal. But he did, and he didn't just land it. He landed it spectacularly. It soared above the post, and Scotland won. And he scored twice, tries. One of the um, moments in the game, the commentator said something along these lines, if I can remember it right. He said, it's just fantastic to see the Scottish rugby team uh, forgetting about the tactics, the plays, all the charts, all the wall stuff, and just playing rugby. Just getting out there and playing rugby. That's why the All Blacks are the best team in the world. They just play rugby better than anyone else. Simple stuff. Now, it's not too irreverent. What Luke is saying to us here is just go out and be church. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. Just strip out all the clutter and just be church. Now let's read these verses. 42, chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, the key verse is verse 42. Let me read it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to uh, prayer. That is what being church uh, is. Or, if you like, this is what a spirit-filled church will be like. Remember, the Holy Spirit is uh, a Hovering all over these early chapters of Acts, the Holy Spirit, if it's at the heart of a church, that church will be, and the four headings you'll see on the sheet, a Bible church, a loving church, a praying church, an evangelistic church. Or Let me just simplify that. A Bible church, a caring church, a praying church, a telling church. That's at its very simplest. Bible, care, prayer, telling. And you can apply that to a church family as a whole, and that church will pick well. You can apply it to the component parts of a church. For example, a small group. Many of you are in small groups. What marks your small group? Bible, caring, praying, encouraging each other, and telling. That's the, what a small group should do. And there's an authenticity, a richness, a vitality, a life, a heart, a vision, a purpose to a church family, to a small group. Uh, when that stuff is its food and drink notice also with respect to these marks they were devoted the Greek word translated devoted is a strong word the best uh, description of that I've found in a Bible commentator is attached to these things like super glue stuck to them not a casual commitment not a lip service commitment but an unswerving commitment to these things not in a sense of hold on for your life when everyone else is drifting away. It's not that at all. It's, it's, it's about stick to them like glue because you should have confidence in them because without them you'll founder, and with them you will have life. That's the point. With them you will be spirit-filled as a church. Now let's take each in turn. First, what I referred to as a Bible church. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. It is striking, this is the first mark or characteristic Luke mentions. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. Think of Pentecost. The Spirit of God came and what did Peter do? He proclaimed. The Spirit and his sword that is the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word. A Spirit-filled church is a church that is serious about its submission to the authority of the word of God. Our spirit-filled church is a church that is hungry for the word of God. Now, the early church had the best of it. They had the live ministry of the apostles. Imagine turning up at the synagogue and hearing Peter, the great. They had the live ministry of the apostles. They were listening to them, the eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus. what authenticated the ministry of the apostles, what gave them authority, what gave weight, well, they were eyewitnesses, but also, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. These are the things that mark out an apostle. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the things that mark an apostle signs, wonders, miracles to authenticate their teachings. What does it mean for us then as a contemporary church to be devoted to the apostolic teaching? You might uh, know the words of of a creed like the Apostles' Creed. We say um, we are an apostolic church. What does that mean? It means that we are a church that is sticking like glue to the Apostles' teaching. That's what it means. What does it mean for us to uh, be devoted to the Apostles' teaching? Well, their teaching is in the New Testament. It's what we have. We don't have Peter alive, but we have him alive in the pages of the New Testament. God speaks to us. And so for us, devotion to the apostles' teaching means to the authority of the New Testament. And because the apostles again and again affirm the authority of the Old Testament, our submission, our devotion is to the written word of God in its entirety. We can summarize it therefore in a simple phrase, a Bible church. And a Bible church is a church committed to the gospel the Bible tells, the biblical gospel, or the gospel in the Bible. And what does it mean to be a Bible church a little more practically? It means a church where the Bible is central in the driving seat, as it were. David Jackman, whom I'll mention a couple of times today, my mentor and friend in London, always used an analogy, a little um, kind of crude perhaps, but it makes the point, Where's the Bible in the church, is it in the driving seat, the passenger seat, the back seat, or the boot? The boot's bad. It's actually not often the case that the Bible really is in the driving seat. I suspect that it's very often in the passenger seat. Occasionally slips into the back seat. Is it in the driving seat? Does it uh, govern, in a sense, what we do when we meet together? Is it the, is it the heart? Is it the, 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 is it the meat on the plate of the meal all the time? In our small groups, in our one-to-ones. A Bible church is a church that sticks like glue to the word of God, especially in difficult times. You've got to, otherwise you know where to turn, Really? It's a church whose confidence is in the Bible. It's very important we don't hear devotion to the Word of God as, um, as kind of um, hold on to a great big Bible where no one else is and just clench your fist. It's not about that. It's not about holding on. Well, it is. It's not just about that. It's about confidence in it. Confidence that when this is taught on a Sunday or in a small group, God's voice is heard. And when God's voice is heard, then people's lives are changed. Another thing that uh, David said is that uh, when the Bible is, David Jackman, when the Bible is faithfully taught, God's voice is clearly um, heard. Throughout the book of Acts, there's a little tiny marker statement used to denote significant advance or growth in the church. How would you, um, in the history of the early church, how would you just describe growth? What phrase would you use? Well, I'd use something like the church grew or they planted 10 more churches that month. Yeah? How does Luke describe growth? Look with me at uh, chapter 6, verse 7. He does this four times. It's his little summary statement. Each time after some big event, the church has moved forward. Chapter 6, verse 7. Big advance. How does he describe growth? Chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. Growth in Acts is always described as increase in the word or the release of the word. It's the word spreading. Or chapter 12, 24. Chapter 12, 24. Herod has just been eaten by worms. A bit gruesome. Herod, the antagonist against the church. Big advance, chapter 12, 24, but the word of God spread. It's the growth of the word. Two more, chapter 19 it is, verse 20. Chapter 19, verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. And the final one, the very last words of the book, the last words about the history of the church recorded in Scripture. Verse 31 of chapter 28, Boldly and without hindrance, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The last two uh, verbs, preached, taught, telling. You see, Growth is synonymous with releasing the word. And so as we look to the future in the new church, I want you to pray for a deepening commitment to the word of God, a keener teaching of the word of God, a greater confidence in the Bible. And not as a a kind of hang on thing, but as a confidence thing because it really does change lives. When God's Word is clearly taught. His voice is clearly heard. Secondly, a loving church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now that phrase, to the fellowship, what does it mean? When someone becomes a Christian, they are reconciled to God. They are brought into fellowship with God. No longer estranged and separate from him, but in fellowship. It's a familial relationship. We are children of God. That's what happens when we are converted. But we are also brought into the fellowship of other Christians, and that is equally familial. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have a new relationship with God and with one another. And when Luke speaks about a devotion to God, he also speaks about a devotion to the fellowship, to one another. I think as Christians we can well understand and sometimes do quite well that a devotion to God, to love God with heart, soul, mind and strength. I think we struggle sometimes with a devotion to one another. That's a bit harder, isn't it? God irks us less than each other. But the vertical needs to be matched by the horizontal. Devotion to one another. Commitment to the fellowship. And that means our local church family. What does it mean practically? It means an attitude of humility, looking to the entrance of others. that builds unity. It means practical things, using the different gifts God has given us. I used Lloyd as an illustration earlier, so I'll use him again. Lloyd is a gift to play music. So what does he do? He uses that gift for the edification, the benefit, the building up of others. So he plays the piano regularly on Sundays. All of us have different gifts. God has put us together that we might use these gifts for the edification, the building up, the encouragement of others. Most importantly, though, commitment to the fellowship is real sacrificial care for one another. It is what really marks out a Christian church. All through the church we are committed to building one another up into Christian maturity, yes, but also practically sharing our resources. Look at verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now they're quite challenging verses, aren't they? Do they really mean that every spirit-filled believer and church community should follow that example literally? Well, my Bible commentators at this point footnote and caveat this verse with all sorts of reasons to say no. For example, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes, so evidently they did not sell their houses. Maybe Moreover, the tense of the verbs apparently indicate that the selling and giving were occasional in response to particular needs and not once for all. And that's true. God's not daft and he doesn't want us to be daft. He doesn't begrudge us the things we have. But the principle is true. Sharing resources. I would like to think that if one of our mission partners around the world had an immediate financial need, whatever it was, we would meet it instantly. I would like to think that if people in our church family are in financial need, we would share generously. I hope we do, often anonymously. Now, the reference to the breaking of bread, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. It's there again in verse 46. At one level, I think that's the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, that we'll celebrate in a few minutes. It's probable in the early church the Lord's Supper would be the end of a church family meal following the Lord Jesus' practice as he shared the Passover meal with his disciples. But the reference, I think, to the breaking of bread is much wider than that. It means eating together, sharing hospitality. I um, don't apologise at all for the fact that we eat a lot of the time together. Although well, I was careful to point out in service one that it's easy for me to say because I never cook any of it. But it's absolutely basic essential what it means to be community. What it means to be church. Whether here on a Thursday, a Tuesday, welcome lunches, evening meals, or whether in your homes, sharing your tea, sharing your dinner, Right at the heart of what it means to be devoted to the fellowship, just let me alert you to a risk that always is there, is that we have the same people around our tables a lot. Let me encourage you to look widely in the church to who is perhaps on the fringes of your friendship group and invite them along to share a meal with you. And invite your non-Christian friends to Now, as we look to the future and the new church, pray not only for a deepening commitment and confidence in the word, but a deepening commitment to the fellowship, to sharing with one another, to caring for one another, to loving one another. And remember the phrase it's devotion, it's stick to these principles like glue. Not casual, but deep-hearted, practical, sacrificial, loving, zealous commitment to one another. And let me encourage us just to turn that up a notch. It's not a duty to love the Word of God. It's not a burden, nor is it a duty or a burden to be devoted to the fellowship to one another. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure to be in a living Christian community that cares. I think words like church family and being together in church family uh, mean a lot to us at this time. More perhaps than they have. It is a privilege to be in a living community devoted to one another. A Bible church, a loving church, third a praying church, they devoted themselves to prayer. Now this is the bit, when we all feel a little guilty. Yeah? When I was growing up, um, somebody spoke to me of the prayer meeting in our church, uh, the occasion when the church family gathered together, and, and they said, you, you won't enjoy it. You come along, it'll be really kind of hard to get there, a little dull, but afterwards you'll be pleased you've gone. Great marketing campaigns. Let me tell you why a church needs to be devoted to prayer. Let me express it in different ways, rather than they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to expressing that they could not do stuff without God's help. Yeah? Or, they devoted themselves to asking God for all the things he promises he will give them in his word. So they just felt it was appropriate to gather together, quite often ask him for the things he promised. Or they devoted themselves to asking God to help them and lead them and guide them and provide for them when they were in need and in difficult times, which were quite often. They devoted themselves to praying for the sick when the sick asked them to pray and to praying for their mission partners. Jason and Lisa have gone uh, to uh, America. They're about to go to Equatorial Guinea. They're strong. Lisa was telling me just how frightened she is About taking their kids to a country where you can catch all sorts of horrible things. She was telling me that they've got to hang out all the kids' clothes in the sun or iron them to kill all the bugs that bore into their flesh. That just makes me freak out to think about it. You've got to pray for these people. You've got to really pray for them. They devoted themselves to praying for the community they were in, for the advance of the gospel in the city, in the country, in the world. Think of all these kids that come along to Impact on a Friday, in their families, in this community. How exciting is that? We cannot convert any of them. We've got to pray to God for impact in the community, impact in their lives. Devotion, absolute commitment to pray, not out of duty, but rather born out of the awareness of the potential of a praying church. Come along to pray when you can with others in the church. Pray in your small groups. Pray yourself. And pray not born out of of guilt. Pray born out of possibility and potential. When I came as minister in 2009, um, I preached a series. The first series I preached in the mornings was the potential of a praying church. Uh, It was the series that launched the food as well in the church um, I wonder, though, if we have realized our potential as a praying church. Well, might we? Now is an opportune time, at a transition time. And I'm not saying, just so that you know, come to a prayer meeting for the sake of it. What I'm saying to you is grasp what a church devoted to prayer can do and let that vision lead you to come to pray. It's like evangelism. You'll never be effective as an evangelist and I'll never be effective as an evangelist if someone beats me over the head and says, go and tell the gospel. I need that kick up the backside sometimes. But I'll be effective as an evangelist and you will be if you realise the need of people who have no gospel and realise that when you tell the Holy Spirit empowers your telling. We will be a praying church when we realise that we just can't do stuff without God's help and we need him. I wonder what you're praying for at the moment for this church. Let me ask you to pray that we'll be able to continue this church in this building. That's not the wrong thing to pray for, is it? It's what we all want. Pray for that. Pray for that every day. Pray for that as those who make these decisions come to their conclusions. And pray what we've always said, that we'll stay together. And encourage that we really are doing that. Pray that we will grow numerically in this way by people becoming Christians. That's what we all long for. So pray for it every day. What potential is there in a praying church? A Bible church, a loving church, a praying church and then fourthly an evangelistic church. Notice with me as we close the two bookends that bracket the passage, verses 41 and verse 47b. 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Verse 47b, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. We were simply to take verse 42 Or uh, verses 42 to uh, 47a, out of context, the picture painted would be a distorted picture of a church. It would be inward-looking rather than outward-focused. Why is it that we are exhorted to be devoted to the Bible, the Word of God? Why are we uh, to stick like glue to the simple biblical gospel? Why are we to love one another? Why are we to be vital and real as a fellowship, Why are we to cook a lot together? Why are we to pray a lot together? What's it all about? A spirit-filled church, in the end, is a church that is an evangelistic church. The very definition of church in the Bible is something that is organic and grows when people are added to it. Who is added to the church every day? People who aren't Christians coming into the church. That is our heart, that's our longing, that's our prayer, that's the heart of our vision. People will become Christians. Now pray that for the church family, pray it for your small group. Small group is healthy when the conversation lapses into who it is we're praying for, who it is in whose life God is at work. How is the person that I brought along to this, that or the other, will you pray for them with me? Notice precisely what Luke says in verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. These words are very important. The Lord added to their number. Not you, not me, not a program. The Lord added to their number. We share the gospel. We tell the gospel. God opens blind eyes. He takes the scales from people's eyes. We will never be confident in our abilities in evangelism, but we can be confident in God's ability in evangelism. He's very very good at it. So will you pray that our church will grow by people becoming Christians? A Bible church, a loving church, a praying church, an evangelistic church. I hope that next Saturday Scott Johnson, the interim coach of the Scottish rugby team says to the team in the dressing room at Murrayfield just go out and play rugby forget everything I've told you just go out and do what you know how to do and we might score five tries and beat the French, I think it's the French and what Luke is saying to us is just just go out and be church Bible, care, prayer, tell. And cut out all the clutter. Just do that stuff. And daily people were added to their number. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, thank you for these simple reminders of what it is to be church, committed and confident in the word of God. When the word of God is proclaimed or spoken or taught or read, God's voice is heard. A loving church, a church committed to the fellowship, caring and sharing. A praying church, a church that, in a sense, rumbles on each day, knowing that almost everything that it does needs your help and your power to make it work. And so they pray dependent on you for everything. Not least, that desire in all of our hearts to grow by men and women and young people and boys and girls becoming Christians. And so a living, spirit-filled church at the end of the day is an evangelistic church. Whether your mission field is the campus in a university or marchment or equatorial guinea or china lord we pray that we would be an evangelistic church we ask lord that we would begin to grow increasingly by people becoming christians and we ask that in jesus name amen